Hey all, welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I'm Darren, I'm your host, and today I have a special guest, Mr. David Parrish. He is the owner, creator of SNS Grills, formerly Adrenaline Barbecue, inventor of the Slow and Sear, and many other products. I'll be right back with Mr. David Parrish. Smoking, grilling, getting hot and hotter, sous vide and chilling, rum. Fire and water. Hey, I want to welcome back Inkbird Products as a sponsor of the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. Inkbird makes some great thermometers, Wi-Fi, uh, Bluetooth, all that. They also make a great instant read thermometer that I really love. It's waterproof, totally rechargeable with USB, very accurate. Everybody should have one of these in their kitchen so they can check the internal temperatures of their food so they don't end up overcooking. Check out the waterproof instant read thermometer below and a link to Amazon from Inkbird. Welcome back, Inkbird Products. Welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I have another great guest today, but one I've been wanting to get on for a while now, Mr. David Parrish. He is the owner of SNS Grills, formerly was adrenaline barbecue company and the uh, original maker of the slow and sear welcome david thanks for being on i really appreciate it thanks darren i appreciate it and i'm, I'm happy to be here well let's uh, start with your career i want to start how you got into the barbecue uh section i know that you started out you were in the military so how, how did that lead you to to be in the barbecue outdoor cooking and grilling business well, the the short answer to that question is I spent 45 years figuring out what I was going to do when I grow up. <laughs> um, uh, I went to college, you know, born and raised in Alabama, uh, went to college at Auburn, got a degree in physics, thinking, hey, I'm going to go into science. After that, I went into the Air Force uh, flying a C-130s in the, the navigator crew uh, position. And while in the Air Force, I got a master's degree in computer information systems because I thought that would be something interesting to learn about. Um, due to family reasons, I separated after 10 years, not nine years and change, and went into corporate America. And it was back probably, what is it, 2019, 10, that's 2020, 10, 11 years ago, I got seriously seriously in, into barbecue i always had an appreciation for it uh, but i never was really into doing it myself and i just started consuming all the information i could find out uh find there out on the interwebs um the website that seemed the most useful to me was uh, amazeribs.com so i did some research there, and um, there was another website that that one pulled a lot of uh, info from. And um, the uh, Greg Blonder, uh, PhD in, in physics, he had done a lot of research into barbecue. Meathead had taken that research and kind of put it in layman's terms for the, the mass audience. So I found Meathead's um, website first, then I found Greg's. I, just soaked up that info and um next thing i know i'm I'm asking questions in the comments on uh meathead's website 
And he would respond to me and that was great. And I was learning. And eventually I started answering other people's questions on the website. And uh, Mija's like, hey, you seem to know a lot about this stuff. Why don't you become a, uh, a, a moderator for us? So I was, my, my beginnings in barbecue was uh, as an unpaid moderator for AmazingRebs.com. <laughs> so you worked for Meathead for free. That's good. <laughs> uh, well, I think uh, it, it was definitely a good opportunity for me um, just to learn in that environment. There was uh, just so much good information and definitely a, uh, a desire to get past what um, people have always done because it was handed down from you know, father to son or, or whatever and really get into the, the science of how barbecue worked. And uh, that, that's what interested me. So I, I felt very fortunate to be in that crowd. And I did start getting paid eventually. So it, was, uh, it ended up uh, being, being a, a, paid, a paid gig. Well, that's good. I love AmazingRibs.com. I love Meathead. He thinks the same way I do. Uh, barbecue should not be put in a box. Uh, cooking shouldn't be put in a box. It's, I love, that's why I mix, you know, the, the methods of sous vide and barbecue and, and cooking, so, or, you know, and outdoor cooking, because I believe you can make some amazing food when you start combining cooking methods and doing different things. So, and that's one of the things I love about Amazing Ribs is that they will have, you know, Dr. Blonder puts the science to a lot of the stuff and, and mm -hmm. dispels a lot of the myths and stuff that people get caught in their head where, you know, you have to use mustard to, as a binder. Well, you don't have to, but I mean, it's, people do it. I mean, but you know, you, you get those kind of uh, traditionalists or, or people that have to do things a certain way. And that's at least amazing ribs will point you in several different directions. He's one of the first ones that, you know, with the sous vide queue, you know, actually knew that it could do, uh, you know, some stuff that you couldn't do any other way. And that's yeah. kind of, you know, and it's, he's always been that way. And that's, like I said, he's always looked at things a little bit different than a lot of the other traditional barbecue people. And that's what I really like about it as well. So. Yeah. I, I think, you know, one thing that's great about me is he is, very good at giving credit to, to wherever he gains some knowledge from. And, and I know specific to CVQ, um, he started by learning from Chef Steps and uh, they had, they had a, a, a collaboration. Uh, this is several years ago now. And they both did some ribs and compared notes and went and visited each other. And from that, um, Meathead did his spin on a CVQ and uh, you, yeah, you can make some great food that way. Um, to go back to one of your points uh, a minute ago, I like the way that he kind of understands the process of how things happen. Um, the other thing that I've also learned though is that when somebody does have a really good recipe and they tell you their technique, it probably makes really good food. Um, so I don't necessarily believe that the way one person tells you how to cook ribs or cook brisket is correct. I think there's a thousand different ways to, to make a good brisket, a good chicken, a good turkey, what have you. What I really like to do myself is to understand why those recipes are good 
and then share that with our customers so that we're enabling them to use our products to cook in the manner they want to. You know, if it's the way I cook or the way they want to, you know, learn from someone on YouTube or uh, a book author or TV or what have you. So we just give them the tools, we give them the, the know-how, and then we just try to set them up to succeed. Exactly. You know, tools can be used in many different ways, you know, um, and that's why I'm not really locked into any specific grill or any brand or uh, I've just never been that way. It's the same way with cooking methods. People get locked up. It's, it's kind of like the brandy thing, you know, or you know, big green egg is the only, you know, Kamado grill that I can look at because it's a big green egg and it's been around forever. And my, you know, it's, people do that with, with just about everything, including cooking methods. It's like, I can only right. cook brisket, you know, barbecue style. Well, no, you can cook brisket in an oven, you know? Yeah. It's not going to be smoky. It'll just be a different thing. But, um, you know, so I, I'm totally anti, you know, that type of attitude. And one of the things I like to do is, is try to expand people's uh, minds and show them how they can use different products and different tools and different cooking methods, different ways and create great food and not get locked into something. One of the things that your first product that, that you came out with, the Slow and Sear, did that. It took a cooking, you know, a device, the Weber kettle, and you made a tool that could make that Weber kettle do a lot more than it was. So let's talk about the slow and sear and how that started, how your idea for that started. And I, I guess it was when you were working at Amazing Ribs, correct? Uh, exactly. We, uh, I eventually ended up launching a paid member uh, membership program with AmazingRibs.com and that's called the Pitmaster Club. It's a great club. You guys should uh, I'm go a check member. it out. Yep. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was the I was the pit boss or the moderator for the for the the pit, which is the forum that comes with that club. Um, Amazing Ribs has products that they recommend, and we would, you know, the people that read the website, they buy those products, and then they come and ask us questions on how to use them or whatever. And we see that and we saw people struggling with their charcoal kettle grills. You know, they, even though we were giving them tips and techniques and they would come back and say, it's just not performing the way I wanted to. So it was late one evening. Um, I had another moderator, uh, Husky, Aaron Lyons were uh, having a conversation and the the idea of just creating a water wall in a grill to take the radiant heat out of the the cooking combination and it's that radiant heat in a grill that prevents you from smoking so that conversation and you know it was just an interesting journey because at the time i had a corporate job this was definitely just a nighttime uh part-time gig uh husky and i had would had what we thought was a really good idea and 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 what you realize there though is the idea is just it's just the one percent 
of having a successful product and, and having a business, you know, finding, uh, figuring out, I had to teach myself CAD so I could design something in a 3D space that I could send to a manufacturer. And then finding a manufacturer that will do anything for you because these manufacturers, they, they want a sure thing. They want repeat business. They don't want to spend five months figuring out how to make your product and then they make one and then, and then they're done. Right. Um, you know, a, a lot of that was, uh, was, was complicated, but I had a neighbor that put me in touch with a, a local job shop. We, uh, we made uh, the slow and sear, and this was uh, early, late 2014, early 2015. And uh, I started using it. I just immediately knew, like, hey, are you still there? Yeah, I just, I'm sharing my screen. And it's, oh, okay. And it's okay. showing the slow and sear. Um, so I just want people to so, see what we're talking about here because okay, this, great, is, yeah, this is great. like your original design of the slow and sear, even though it may have had yes. some changes down the road, but. This is yep. basically what it is. It turns your kettle into a two-zone cooking uh, machine, pretty much. Uh, exactly. So uh, we, we made them. I put one in a grill. I started using it, and it was just astounding at how well it worked. So I started making more, and I sent one to, to Meathead. I'm like, Meathead, I like this thing. What do you think? And I used to have it mounted on a wall but we've moved and I've, uh, it's in storage but I have his email response framed and he said I absolutely love it this is a great product you gotta make them I'll help you sell them uh, <laughs> or something to that effect and I don't do the best meathead impression but um, so that that was the start and then it was just uh, getting into uh, mass production so we had a local job shop that can make them for like $300 a piece, which obviously you're not going to go to market doing that. Um, I think that the cheapest we ever got them to make them was a hundred dollars each. Anyway. Um, so a, a friend of mine, Noah Glandle from uh, pit barrel cooker, um, kind of took me under his wing, you know, fellow military guy and he helped me find a mass, uh, a mass producer. And, uh, then, um, two or three months later, we started making them and it, it was from the very beginning, it was a very successful product. And five years later, it's my day job and my night job and my weekend job and my job while I'm sleeping and right when I wake up and right before I go to bed, etc. And I love it because you know, the, well, I'm 49 now, but I'm doing what I want to do with my life and I'm getting paid to do it. So it's, it's pretty freaking cool, actually. So how long was it from inception to when you started first, you know, you sold your first one to where you, this could, you go, you went, okay, I can actually, you know, make a living doing this. How long was that span? Was that pretty much right away when you started first taking orders or? Um, no, no. And one thing that is surprising and as, as a guy that has a YouTube channel, you can appreciate this. It doesn't, it, success is a marathon, you know, exactly. as, as a, as a YouTuber, you hope for a hundred views on your first video and, you know, 10 videos later, maybe you get 500 and, you know, you make a, you get, you're really happy the first time you get a thousand subscribers and 
what you find is it takes a constant commitment and effort and there is no overnight wow i'm, I'm a huge <laughs> right. success i mean exactly. it doesn't it i won't say it never happens but that's not yeah that's not the regular ex- normal right? it's not regular <laughs> and i certainly wasn't expecting that um some advice that someone gave me was don't quit your day job that is great advice yeah. if you can if if the business does not support you and you can support the business or run the business without having to use it to support your family. That's great. Uh, but to answer your question, I think we sold the first loan seer in mid 2015 and I quit my day job in 2017. So that's that's still pretty good. Two Two years. years. So that's good. And, um, when you initially started marketing them, was it strictly, you know, word of mouth? Was it, through, through the Pitmaster Club, was it um, a little bit of both? Did you start saying, okay, I got to find a different way to get this out, get the knowledge out to the pe- to people? I mean, that's the hardest part, unless you drop a lot of money on advertising. It's, you know, getting the word out and showing people what they need. Yeah. So as a small business being run out of the house, literally shipping these from the dining room, um, you don't have the budget to launch a product the way a large company would with a a big spend on video and advertising and Google ads and, and, and all that. Um, it was word of mouth for us. It was definitely the pitmaster club. Uh, A lot of thanks to, to meathead and, uh, his support on amazingribs.com. Uh, it wasn't too long after that, that, uh, Stephen Reichland of, Barbecue Bible, you know, put it, took us under his wing for a year or two and, and helped us. It was a lot of, it, it's, it, it's definitely a marathon. You know, it's yeah. not a, there's no one source or thing I can point to and say, that's what made me successful. Um, AmazingRips.com got us started. YouTube definitely took us to a next level. I call 2017 the year of YouTube for us because I, I went and it's hard to believe this is three years ago. It, just, it feels like yesterday. Um, I, I flew all around the U.S. to a bunch of YouTubers homes and we cooked steak using the slow and sear and what I call the, uh, the cold grate technique where we use radiant energy from the slow and sear and, and, no conductive energy from the grate to do the searing. And this was something that I, I did this because we were having, it's such a great technique and it works so well when properly executed, but it is not intuitive for people that have grown up with most other charcoal grills, like cooking with radiant heat and trying to take the, the grate out of the equation just doesn't make sense. So, um, but 2017 ended up being a big year because of YouTube. So it, there's a lot of, it, it, did I mention it's a marathon? <laughs> <laughs> no, there's, know, a, yeah. Just, and, and, and yeah. I know I've, I had my own business before where it was my sole source of income and uh, I was laid off. This is, you know, 10 years ago, I, I, you know, sold, uh, home theater equipment through the internet and, and stuff. And I, I know I work more, I work harder 
on that than I ever worked on a job job, you know, when I worked for a company. Absolutely. And I got paid a lot less. I got paid a lot less, but it's a lot more rewarding because you're creating something and doing something that you put all your, your blood and sweat and tears into. So you develop the slow and sear and then the spin grate too. And I remember watching a lot of those videos that you're talking about and you had the spin grate, which actually incorporates the, you know, your, um, cold grate technique incorporates that with the, the slow and sear. So mm-hmm. how, how off, how long ago after you developed the slow and sear was that spin grate developed? Let's see. It, the genesis of the idea was at Justin, a baby back maniac. Uh, so everybody go check out his YouTube channel. If, if you haven't, and of course you have. Anyway, I was at Justin's house and we did our first video on uh, how to grill a uh, reverse sear steak using the cold grate technique. Uh, credit Justin for, for that name, cold grate technique. Uh, he, he, during the editing process, he's like, dude, we got to call this something because it's awesome. And we got to call it something, <laughs> which was Justin. a great idea. That's Justin. Yeah, dude, and... we got to do this. <laughs> so the one thing that we realized was the, the regular grate that comes with the grill, it doesn't spin. And we're trying to, you know, we've got gloves and camera equipment. We're trying to cook. And we're like, man, it would be easy if you didn't have to grab both handles to, to spin the, the grate around. Um, at the time I was working with a manufacturer to, to make our own grate. And we just, I'm like, we got to figure out how to make these handles stop hitting the tabs. And, um, it just kind of came from that. So I forgot what the question was. I think it was a 20, so I guess it was early 2017 that that product came around. Yeah, because it, it had to have been because you, you, were, you were using that in some of those videos where you went to the YouTubers. So it had to have been not yep. too, too long after you started doing that with uh, that where you decided to create your own grate. And, um, and that really put that, you know, into place where you could spin the grate with no, no problems. Like you said, you didn't have to pick it up and try to not burn yourself and all that. It just made it a lot easier to be able to, do that process for sure. So you seem to be able to look at problems and issues, um, and, and develop new products. So, um, you didn't stop there with, with those two products. So I'm going to go back into, uh, your website again so that we can kind of see some of the other products that you offer. Um, some of them are bundles of course, but, um, you know, you offer different kinds of slow and series, different sizes, as well and then you've got the uh the dripping uh griddle pan dripping griddle pan i you know the, our customers dragged me kicking and screaming into the idea of making the dripping griddle pan i kept telling them nobody wants it nobody's going to buy it you can just use foil to to cover the indirect side um, but people kept asking for it so i, I said fine we'll we'll make one and that was actually pretty a uh, pretty simple idea. You just make a pan that that's the charcoal grate opposite the slow and sear. And that's what came up with that. And that's ended up being an extremely popular product. And I have people tell me they love that pan just as much as they do the slow and sear. So I want to thank my customers for giving me, giving me that idea. Um, 
Well, that's another great thing when you listen to your customers, when they, when they tell you things, I mean, a lot of companies don't do that, especially, you know, of course the bigger corporate, um, you know, structures, it's kind of hard, but you know, for a company to listen to their customers and to take some kind of design ideas and put them to the test and then offer them up is, is kind of unique anymore. Um, and as a small company, we kind of have that privilege. I mean, there is one product and I hesitate to mention it because we're going to get a whole lot of feedback from this one that I can't make anymore because it was, we just couldn't make any money on them and the demand was so sporadic. And that is a slow and sear for the ranch kettle. All you ranch kettle owners out there, love you guys. Go buy two XLs. Anyway, <laughs> we had this big, big uh, ranch kettle edition, slow and sear. And, you know, we can only make 10 or 20 at a time. And uh, at first it was, a, it was a fun project. I did a video um, in uh, Colorado uh, with, uh, with the, the art, we called it the RKE, but that, that would be an example of a product that we no longer make just because we're not quite as small as we used to be. Um, yeah. but yeah, there, there's definitely, as companies get bigger, it, they're not even interested in something unless it hits a certain revenue number. Sure. Yeah. And something like that where, you know, there's not many owners of that kettle because it is such a, an expense. So yeah. it, it, it's just something where how many of those are you going to actually sell a year and then they're going to sit in inventory or, you know, you're going to pay extra to order a less of less of that product. You know, that's a lot of people yeah. don't understand when, when you do that, when you have a specialty product, it costs much more to make it because it's not a high demand thing where you can't order, you know, a boatload of them, you know, to sell them, you know, the, the more you sell, the, the cheaper they are to make because you can spread yeah. that, you can spread that expense over, you know, a big number, but uh, yeah, it's, so uh, I, I understand that it's really hard to offer a specialty item like that and still make it profitable for you or even, you know, at a price point that somebody's actually going to pay for it. Like you said, when you initially did the slow and sear, it costs you $300 to make, you know, what are you going to sell it for? You know, $400, nobody's going to pay that, you know? So, right. But, um, all right. So let's, let's go down to some other stuff. So now, uh, what was it last year or the year before where you came out with the slow and sear, uh, Kamado grill? And oh yeah. I want to talk about what, what made you start looking at developing your own grill? Because it's a lot different from looking at accessories, to actually coming out with a grill that um, you're going to rely on your own brand name for. Um, Cause there's a lot of manufacturers out there, grills that, that struggle every day. And, um, you know, when you're competing with somebody like, you know, big green egg, especially in the Kamado market uh, yep. and, Kamado and some of the others that are out there. So I guess the reason I did it is cause I didn't know any better. <laughs> <laughs> Seemed like a good idea at the time. Um, shortly before that, though, we had a lot of people that were not our customers that wanted a slow and sear. And uh, it was specific to Big Green Egg and all the other ceramic cookers out there. They're like, I want a slow and sear for my Kamado. Please make it. Or which one do I buy? And I had to reply to them, we, we, we don't have a slow and sear for your Kamado. Um, I tried really hard to create a slow and sear for a Kamado, but the problem with 
all of the Kamado designs out there from the perspective of retrofitting a silencer into it is that the cooking grates rest on the fireball. And we had to suspend the cooking grate above the fireball so that we could install the silencer underneath it. Um, because we could not make a silencer for the Kamado grills that were on the market and popular enough to make a silencer for, we decided to make our own Kamado. And we were actually pursuing three or four different grill designs at the time. Um, a lot of them just ended up being too expensive for a small company like mine to, to make. Um, the Kamado ended up being one of the very first ones that uh, was made sense monetarily. Like we, we could make them at a cost that would allow us to, to sell them at a profit. And um, the very first time I used it, like I own several Kamados and the very first time I used it, I realized that this solves it solved a problem that other Kamado owners would appreciate having the solution for. So we immediately took that to market and, and it's, uh, it's been very successful. It's uh, especially this year, I think, as you have with the, the Weber crowd, you know, you've got your big green egg, your Kamado Joe, your Primo's uh, Weber summit being new to the, new to the crowd. I know you're a, a KJ owner. Um, there was a lot of pushback in, in the beginning. So we had to overcome that. And now that we've been around a year and people see that we are actually serious about making this grill and that it actually does work pretty well. Um, and now they flew up, they flew out of their warehouse and we're having to, to double our orders again. Um, so did I answer the question on that one? Sometimes I start rambling. No, yeah, yeah, pretty much. And I can understand where, especially with the Kamados, because they are different sizes. I mean, each company, you know, I know that, you know, Big Green A and Kamado Joe kind of keep the same sizes, but there's other like divisions and, and uh, some others that are out there, like the Primo, it's, it's totally a different shape. It's kind of mm -hmm. hard for you to say, I want to develop a, uh, you know, slow and sear for each one of these different brands of Kamados or sizes of Kamados. Because just like going back to the, you know, the ranch, you know, the extra large kettle, it's, you know, the, how much demand you're going to have. And every time you pick a different one. So it, yeah, it, it would, to me, it would be much easier to develop your own Kamado that it's incorporated into the design to use that so that you can definitely offer all those benefits and say, Hey, you know, this, this design is totally different than what you're going to be able to get on a big green egg or a Kamado Joe or Primo because it does incorporate the slow and sear and the same things that you can do on the, on the kettle you can do with this uh, Kamado, if not even better or more because of the insulation and what have you, and just the way Kamados work, you know, uh, different than, than the kettles, but I totally can understand why and how that's for sure. So let's talk about the kettle because this is the new thing that's uh, come out and I think a lot of people were w wanting you or expecting you to release a kettle way before the, the Kamado, but 
I think like you said, it, um, you, you wanted to take more time and, and make sure that you got the right manufacturer partner and everything else and, and, and design the, the kettle that's going to really compete against the Weber that's been entrenched in that, um, you know, uh, that brand is just, everybody sees a kettle, they automatically think Weber. So, so how'd yeah. that go about? How'd you go about designing that kettle? And, and let's talk about some of the stuff you put into this to make it different than a Weber. Yeah, you know, the big difference between the Kamado, the Slow and Sear Kamado and the Slow and Sear Kettle Grill is also, we couldn't put a Slow and Sear in the existing Kamados on the market. So it made sense for us to bring that to market right. as, soon as, as soon as we had it. With, with the kettle, there are many, many, many Weber kettles with Slow and Sears in them right now and very happy customers. So that need was not as, um, it, it, you know, it just, it wasn't as big of a, a priority. So it allowed us to take more time in the design. Uh, it was more difficult to find someone that made a kettle grill where we were happy with the quality. Um, most companies that compete in the kettle space try to do it on price. Right. And they make everything as cheaply as they can. I, I can't tell you how many samples we received and it, it was a no before you could even get it out of the box. Well, um, a lot of, a lot of them don't let you do any kind of customization. They're just, we'll stick your name on it, but this is, this is the way it is. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a good point. So we, we found a manufacturing partner that was willing to let us do pretty much everything we wanted to do. Um, as long as we could, you know, afford the tooling to, to tool up for it. And we took our time. We, you know, I, we're not expecting the slow and sear kettle grill to replace Weber kettles, but for people that appreciate cooking with the slow and sear and, you know, they're enthusiasts about using digital thermometers or thermostat controllers, uh, they like having the side shelf or appreciate the extra three inches of, of height that we have. Um, we have more airflow, which allows you to cook at higher convective temperatures more easily while using the slow and sear. The lid bail makes it uh, so easy to just have the lid off to the side and it's still 90 degrees up instead of kind of hanging over the, the, the kettle like the three leg design requires, which is why we have four legs. Um, it, you know, being able to put the thermometer on a below the, the vent so that it is more accurately reflecting the temperatures that you're actually cooking at when you're or smoking or, or baking or what have you. Um, so people that use our products or use the slow and sear to cook the way we teach them, they're going to love this kettle because it's all the modifications that uh, they have done or I have done or we have wanted to do to the kettles that we had. Well, one of the things too I like is that you're not, you have the different options. They don't have to buy it with the slow and sear because if they already have a Weber kettle and they have the slow and sear already, they don't have to, <laughs> you know, <laughs> actually buy, you know, buy, buy another slow and sear, you know, to, to yeah, go in. I, I, that's interesting. Um, we did not anticipate the demand to to be what it was when we first took the kettle 
to market, we had it as a pre-order without the slow and sear because the assumption was anybody buying it already has a slow and sear. Um, we click, quickly realized that there was a demand from new customers that wanted a package with the slow and sear. So now that we have them and we've launched it, we've, we now bring one with a slow and sear or with a slow and sear deluxe, whichever one you prefer. Uh, we even created a video recently that shows the difference to help people make that decision. Um, but we definitely, our expectation is anybody that owns a slow and sear kettle is gonna have a slow and sear. So that version without the slow and sear, you can still do it, but we're very hopeful that if you choose to buy it that way, you already have a slow and sear. Exactly. So let's talk about some of the things that you incorporated into this kettle that are not in the Weber that you looked at and said, this is what we need to do. This is what our customers are demanding, or this is what will make this a different kettle than the Weber kettle. Sure. So a couple of the easy ones was, were, was just having ports to run your digital probe wires into so that you can measure the indirect temperature of your pit as well as the temperature of your meat without having to run wires through the top vent or drill a hole yourself in the kettle or crimp the wires between the bowl and the lid, that kind of thing. Um, the other, another thing that was a little difficult about using a Weber kettle is you have to use the ash sweep system for air intake. With our kettle, we have the smoke port, which you can see in that picture off to the, the bottom right there. That's that one inch diameter port. That's the smoke port. So you can fully close the ash sweep so that no air comes in from there. All the air comes in from the smoke port. And that gives you much better uh, control of that air intake and you don't have to get on your hands and knees to see where your where your ash sweep is at when you're trying to control your 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 airflow for so so people trying to cook low and slow that, that have a Weber kettle they know the struggle you got to get on your knees you got to look down under there to, to figure out where the ash sweep is that that smoke port um, solves that problem and it's also one inch in diameter, which is the whole size that all of the thermostatic controllers on the market recommend. So if you want a thermostat controller, then that, you know, we've, we've already got that, that port for you. Though, in most cases, I think the, the kettle runs so well that you, you don't really need it, maybe for an overnight cook. Yeah, I know um, the, the barbecue yeah. guru has a, um, you know, adapter that you need to drill a hole in your Weber kettle in order to use it. So this makes it yep. where that, that, you know, uh, adapter that they have will fit right on that hole and you don't have to worry about placing it in the wrong spot or, you know, voiding your warranty or anything like that. Because, you know, I just actually put a barbecue guru on a uh, different grill on a, a hasty bake. Uh, stainless steel grill because there's no way to put one on there unless you drill a hole but you know you pretty much void your warranty and you know you can mess it up you can scratch it up you know if you don't do it the right way I mean it's just uh so that's a that yeah. I can definitely see that being a benefit to where like yeah not everybody's going to need that but you want to have the option if you're doing a low and slow or an overnight cook and you don't want to sit there and babysit it you know it's it's good to have that because it, it'll also save you um you know some fuel and stuff too. So, you know, it's just, uh, 
a good thing to have for sure. Absolutely. Now putting the um, thermostat on the, uh, on the, on the other side there, like right under the vent, what, what's the benefit to that? Cause I've heard a lot of people say that that's actually the, the best place to put your, your uh, thermostat. So, and they're right. Um, one thing that you want to avoid is the heat flows from the slow and sear over to your exhaust vent and then out. When you have a thermometer in between the slow and sear and the exhaust vent, it's measuring heat that's exhausting through the kettle, which is gonna be hotter than the heat that is in the indirect side of the kettle that's actually cooking your food. So by putting the thermometer below that exhaust vent and closer to the meat, um, it, it ends up being much more accurate. Um, Weber's have the thermometer on the opposite side of the exhaust vent. And we tell people to put the exhaust vent over the food. So the thermometer is literally right over the slowness here. The temperatures that you read on that gauge are anywhere from 75 to 125 maybe even more higher than what you're actually cooking yet indirect. And that's when cooking 225 to 250, it gets even more off as you cook at hotter temperatures. Um, our thermometer is going to be close enough to the temperatures you would read with a digital thermometer that you can pretty much rely on it. it it's anywhere from zero to 20 degrees hotter than, than what you typically read on the indirect side. Yeah, that's a lot of people in the barbecue groups on Facebook and what have you, especially when they're new to it, don't understand that because they, they first start using a digital thermometer that's on the grate and try to compare it to a hood thermometer. There's, they're always different, you know, but right. they don't understand that the temperature is different in all places in that grill. You know, the, the temperature where the fire is actually is, is going to be hotter than where it's not. So, I mean, the farther away you get from the fire and the different places around there, they're going to be different, but you got to put it in the optimal spot to where your food is actually cooking. So that's what you want to know. You don't want to know what the temperature is right, you know, at the very top of your grill where, you know, the food's not, or at the very bottom where the food's not, you want it to be right where, uh, where you can actually measure how the food is cooking. So that's but right. That, we don't eat the dome. <laughs> exactly. And that's, you know, yeah. that's what you want to do. That's what you want to, who cares what it is at the very top of the dome. That's not where your food is. So, yeah. All right. And I, I, I like this, the shelf idea. And I think the that's the, you know, Weber has a shelf on there. Um, I think it's their performer. Uh, yep. And, uh, but I've always liked the idea of having a shelf on it because it does give you, you know, Hey, you're carrying a pan and it's hard for you to, you know, especially if you're carrying a you know bigger pan or what have you to grab the lid and take it off and then put this you know so you always got to have a spot to put your your food on as well but this also folds down as well so uh yeah how, how important was you how important were all these different features to have all in the first one that you offer we thought they were all pretty critical and when we were making this we wanted to completely own the customer's grilling experience and we wanted them to have everything that we thought would be important to that experience because naturally we want them to be as successful as possible with their cooks 
So everything was was pretty important. I, I can't really think of anything that I would want to want to give up. And and if we did, the only reason to do that would be to try to offer the grill at a lower price point because we feel every the the way the grill is made now, everything's pretty important uh, and it's and useful. The four legs. Um design also makes it a lot more stable than the three-leg design that the Weber has? Yeah, I think that, I think there's two schools of thought on that. Um, the first one is that with a three-leg design, you can always find a flat plane. So if you're cooking um, in your backyard and you're rolling the kettle around on the grass or what have you, you know, your three legs might serve you better in that situation. With, with our grill, we feel that this is going to be something that usually sits in one position on your deck and it's going to be level. In that scenario, the four legs with the that are three inches taller, so your grill is actually higher, they give you more stability and they make the grill a lot less tippy. So if you've got a kettle with a slow and sear and a side bale and a side shelf and it's short and three-legged, it really, really doesn't want to get rolled around without the wheels kind of uh, just flopping out from under you and it falls to the ground. With our design, the height and the stability of the four legs, it, it, it's much better with our products in it. So the deluxe uh, kettle grill, uh, it has just some extra options in it that it does include the slow and sear. Does it also have this, you don't need the spin grate anymore, right? Because you kind of solved that problem or is it an option as well? Uh, all, every kettle comes with an easy spin grate. And that's one thing that we feel is very important. We could have definitely saved some money by going nickel plated, uh, common, you know, the, the nickel plated grates that you commonly find on the market. Our easy spin grate is three or four stainless steel. It's thick. There's a lot of wires. So if you just look at the number of wires our grate has compared to the, the cheaper solutions and it spins easily, the, um, you know, it's, it's got the hinge piece that <laughs> is the perfect size to put charcoal in the Sloan Sear while at the same time, protecting the water reservoir so your briquettes or lump or whatever doesn't fall into your water. Um, so every grill comes with an easy spin grate. We, we felt that that was critical. It definitely, um, it definitely looks like you guys incorporated a lot of stuff that, you know, people have complained about the Weber's for a long time, uh, especially, you know, the ports for the, you know, temp controllers, because, you know, temp controllers are, are even just the, uh, the wireless, um, you know, thermometers you know, can be a pain in the butt if you're yeah. crimping them, you know, between a, a lid and, and the grill, you know, they could actually, you know, damage them and, and not be able to use them as much as, or as long. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, even though drilling a hole isn't that big of a deal, nobody wants to void their warranty and they especially don't want to void a 10 year warranty. Exactly. And, yeah. So it's, uh, and we put them exactly where we want, where the holes need to be. So I don't know about you, but the first time I drilled a hole in a kettle, I ended up putting it in the wrong place. And that's like, that's just upsetting, you know, because you realize that that kettle could have lasted for 20, 30 years and 
you put the hole so that you can't sweep your ash out anymore. Anyway, <laughs> so or, we put the holes where they need to go, and you don't have to worry about making that mistake like I did. Right, and then you know you you get the porcelain comes off, and so you get exposure to a, the moisture and rust and all that. I mean, there's a number of things that can happen when you're doing it yourself, and uh, yeah, exactly. Not uh, not having it pre done for you, so. I really, I mean, you know, I like all the different designs because like I said, it looks like you guys took your time. You, you took a lot of input from people, especially since your product, your main product, the slow and sear was, was based off of a, a kettle. All the things that people, you know, that you've dealt with have kind of said that they didn't like about the Weber kettles. You kind of incorporated it and, and you incorporated a lot of things that Weber does, you know, with the different models. So their base kettle is just base. And then they have the one with the shelf. Then they got the one with the big, you know, uh, bigger shelf and the propane and all that. But, you know, to me, it looks like you've incorporated a lot of stuff into this that they don't have to worry about going up to the next model. I mean, the, even if they did it without the slow and sear, they still got all the other stuff that you incorporated into it that would be into a, uh, you know, a higher grade of a Weber kettle. So, um, yeah, I, I really think you guys did a great job on, on the design. Well, thank you. I want to talk about too, how, how, what is your biggest marketing? Uh, how, how do you market your, your grills and your products the most now? Is it strictly from the website, your own personal website? Or is it, um, I know you have some of the stuff is on Amazon. Uh, where do you yeah. get your biggest sales from? We get the, uh, this, the kettle is sold exclusively on our website right now. It might eventually go to Amazon, but, but it's not there right now. Um, as far as marketing, you know, overall for the company, we invest in creating videos on YouTube and uh, we provide product to influencers, which all companies do that. Um, we have spend on Google AdWords. Uh, we have spend on Amazon and by spend, you know, you have a daily budget where you run ads. And if you ever go to our website and then you go to a, a new site afterwards, you're going to see our products, you know, that's Google. If you right. go to Amazon and you ask and, and you start searching for uh, kettle charcoal basket or something like that, we'll, we'll start showing up. Um, that's, so it's all digital. We don't really have a brick and mortar presence, especially in the U S when you get outside the U S we do, we do because it makes more sense. But, um, yeah, we're so you've never, over 99% never, online. You've never seen a need to have a dealer network to where you have these in, um, you know, barbecue stores or Walmart or anything like that. We would, have we're not at the scale where we would be in the big box retail both from a margin perspective uh and a retail pricing perspective we're geared more for the enthusiast now could you make variations of our product that hit a lower price point that might hit that critical mass where you start selling millions instead of hundreds or tens of thousands Sure, but we're we're not there yet. I'm not. I won't say that we're never going to be there, but we're just not there yet. I mean, we've been around five years, and we're. What about we're, uh, just barbecue stores? Maybe just doing barbecue stores. You know that we specialize we in the higher end type stuff. So, so the 
thing that has held us back with a barbecue store is when <clears throat> Joe barbecue guy walks into the store and he sees a slow and sear, he's not going to have any idea what to do with it. So <laughs> the people at the store have to want to sell our product and they have to be educated on our product. Um, we do have stores that are familiar with the product and they reach out to us and we absolutely want to help them. You know, we have packages, uh, we have retailer packages and we can get them started selling the slow and here, but it's not an avenue that we pursue. We, uh, for, for, for us, we get the most success by, a, by going directly to the customer. Right. Yeah, everybody's got their own uh, way. I know that, um, you know, the Chad who has the uh, the uh, kick-ash basket, I think his main business originally was just trying to get it into the, the barbecue specialty stores. And um, uh, But they do also do some direct, and he also has it on Amazon now. But I think initially, you know, he just ran around the country trying to get it in on the shelves at some of the barbecue stores. So everybody has a different way of marketing. And, and it also, like you said, it depends on the product because you definitely don't want to stick something out there on a shelf and have nobody explain how to use it. Um, you know, just expect somebody to walk up to it and go, oh, I know what to do with this, especially something like as a slow and sear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we do appreciate the fact that, you know, the Slow and Sear Deluxe is $100 and you can buy a kettle for 90 And it can be difficult to convince the person that is first experiencing our product why the value is there. So there, there's that as well. And when we bring people to our website and our content and our education materials, that's how we explain to them, you know, why, why is it worth buying? Exactly. Yeah. You got to teach them, you got to show them and, and build that value into the product. It's not just something you can, it's not like a lighter, you know, where you can just, you know, here it's a lighter. It's just lights, you know, stuff. I mean, it's pretty easy to figure out. Um, so you definitely uh, need to build up that value for them as, uh, on something like the slow and sear and even the kettle. I mean, I can sit here and look at it because I'm familiar with grills, but somebody new and, and looking at, you know, the slow and sear kettle and the Weber kettle, unless you point out a lot of these differences like we're doing, they, they just wouldn't know about it. So. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and that's why I was saying that we're with, with our kettle, we're really, our intention is to appeal to the enthusiasts and our customers and, and, and provide them an all inclusive experience with a grill that performs exactly the way we want it to. We, uh, we don't expect to go head to head with, big box or Weber or, or anything like that. It squashes like a pug. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. You can't go up against them and uh, you don't really need to. And, and you're, you're looking for the people that are, you know, that, that actually can figure it out as well too. And they can, they can actually understand that. Uh, that's like a lot of people will, you know, a lot of my friends, you know, they'll go to the, you know, Home Depot or Walmart and buy a $50 grill and then go come to me and go, look, I bought a grill. And it's like, you're not going to be happy with that, but okay. Right. You know, so you're going to have those type of people that are going to buy stuff at the big box store and not really understand what they, what they got or why they shouldn't have bought that. But let's, let's talk about your supply chain right now, because everybody I've yeah. talked to has having, having issues because of, you know, COVID and, and it's not just that the manufacturers and suppliers are having problems, but it's the demand as well. 
how how much increase in demand have you seen um, for your products just uh, from people being home and, and wanting to cook at home all the time? It's it's probably double. Um, you know, you think about what's happening in the world right now, and it's really bad. But we're very thankful that we're in a place where we have a product that allows people to still enjoy food and enjoy cooking. So if you were a chef at a restaurant and your love was cooking every day and now you're doing that at home, you know, we have a product that you can buy and be a great uh, grill master with. Um, if you liked going to restaurants, but now you have to make food for yourself and uh, it's, it's been, it, it's been a crazy ride this year. Uh, demand started spiking and, March and April, we're lucky that we saw it early and we figured out pretty quickly that this was going to be a different year than prior years. And it might be a one-off, it might be sustained, who knows? But we rolled the dice and doubled our spend on inventory. So for the most part, we have all of the products that we sell. Um, the ones that were probably, well, the Kamado we're out of, we'll, we're getting those in, in about four weeks. So we'll, we'll have those back in stock. And the Sloan Sir Original, that has really started flying off the shelf. Um, that one is currently in stock, but I could see it going out of stock. Uh, it's, um, it's just crazy. And we're, we're, we're very thankful to be able to, to help people get through this mess that we're in. Yeah, and I think with what's going on right now, it jump-started it, but I've seen just over the last, you know, I would say eight to 10 years, the interest in people cooking outdoors with all the different technology that's been rolled out in, in the outdoor cooking uh, area with pellet grills and all different types of, of new products coming out and, and types of grills, it just it amazes me in the technology that's incorporated into everything. You know, I mean, pretty much if you don't have Wi-Fi and anything now, you know, people don't want it. It's just crazy. You know, even all the, the pellet grills now, you know, that started out without having Wi-Fi, they have to have Wi-Fi in them or you know, they can't sell them. So it's uh, all, all the different temp controllers and everything that are coming out. It's really making it more, I guess, outdoor cooking more uh, interesting to people and, and they can throw all this technology. Are you, do you agree with that? I mean, I, I'm sure that's part of some of the stuff that you've offered as well has, as because of that, because of your different, um, you know, products that incorporate different things. I think that all of the stuff that's come out over the past 10 years is, is really pretty cool. You know, the sous vide equipment, thermostat controllers, uh, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, every innovation that can be brought into our particular hobby space that we can utilize to, you know, cook a chuck roast for 48 hours and make it taste like a ribeye or, um, you know, go to the mall and while you're cooking ribs and know what your, your temperatures are at. So, you know, I, I see a place for it. Um, I personally don't use Wi-Fi a whole lot of all those. I kind of, um, I've had many cookers with Wi-Fi. I find myself relying 
just more on setting, relying on that technology to set a temperature more than monitor it from afar. And the thing that I've struggled with, with especially as a product designer with Wi-Fi and Bluetooth is you're only as good as your latest software update and you're reliant on another party to maintain an operating system that complies with your app and your app has to maintain connectivity like heaven forbid you go to bed at 10 p.m and wake up at 6 a.m and you know the server that you were using got uh, oversaturated so you lost your connection or uh you know your batteries go dead your electricity goes out so i i see i'm I'm kind of neutral when it comes to Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. They have their place. I do use them. I don't necessarily feel that they're the end-all be-all. I kind of agree with you on that, but what it does, it gets more people interested and more people, and I would say it's more the novices that go, oh, well, now I can do this. You know, I don't have to worry about staying up all night. So those, somebody that hasn't cooked like you know me and you have for over the years and can figure that stuff on our own, that's what gets them involved. And I think a lot of these companies have figured out that if you don't have that, these novice people that you're trying, especially if it's a entry level pellet grill or something you're trying to sell, you know, that, that's what they're looking for anymore. And, um, yeah. you know, it, it does get more people more comfortable that, that maybe aren't comfortable cooking, you know, uh, outside. So I think it is catch 22. Cause like you said, even with the sous vide units, if you, you know, have a five second power outage, you know, it shuts off your system. You know, and if you're cooking right. something, it, you know, all the time in the, in the sous vide groups, people say, oh, you know, my power went out at like one o'clock in the morning and I didn't realize it till I got up at eight o'clock. Can I, I eat it? Yeah. Can I, can I <laughs> eat it? Because it's been sitting there in the water at uh, 75 yeah. degrees for the last, you know, six hours, you know, and you have, I'm sure you have the same thing with people, you know, cooking a brisket overnight on a, a pellet grill that's got Wi-Fi and stuff. So it does offer up its own challenges and issues, but I just think it, it gets more people interested and involved. And at least if they get in it, you know, it's more time they're going to spend outdoor cooking more. They're going to get into it and eventually not even worry about the Wi-Fi. But, and they're going to buy products that you offer and, and things that uh, and watch more videos that I produce and stuff like that. So I think it's yeah, overall, exactly. it'll, it'll get more people interested. It's not the end all be all. Like you said, I, I think it's cool that I could sit here in my office and adjust the temperature, you know, if I want to, you know, speed up a cook or something, but yeah, could I get up and walk out there and do it? Sure. I could, I'm, <laughs> but it's just, it's, it's just, if it's there, you know, why not use it, but it's not going to be the end all be all. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. But well, David, uh, anything else you want to bring up? Anything new that, uh, SNS grills is coming out with any more changes, any things you can see in the future? Uh, I think the things that we're coming out with uh, are mainly things that we're coming back in stock. Like, you know, the kettle grill is very new for us this year. Um, we're getting ready to make some more videos around, uh, you know, recipes and how to's and stuff for the kettle. So that's going to be our focus for 2020. Uh, obviously we continue to support and love our Kamado uh, owners and we'll be back in stock of those in August. Uh, 2021, 2022, those may hold some new things for, for S and S grills, but, uh, right now we're 
we're really happy where we're at uh, as a company and we're really glad to, to that we finally fully own our customers experience when they're using our products. Yeah. That's that, and that's what I can see that that kettle does is that now they don't have to go buy a Weber and then use your product with it. They can actually get the full experience and um, with all those additional um, benefits that you have incorporated into it. But I want to thank you again for being on. Make sure you guys check out snsgrills.com. They've got all their products on there. Check out their YouTube channel as well. And there's plenty of, if you just, uh, I, I guess if you just uh, put in SNS Grills and YouTube, there'll be a lot of other YouTubers that have been using your products as well. So, it, For sure, for sure. So Darren, thanks so much. It was great being here. Great being on. I, I'm really glad you were here and um, I'm sure I'll have you on again. Thanks for being on and thanks everybody, thanks everybody for watching and listening to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I'll see you on the next episode. All right, guys, I want to thank David Parrish of SNS Grills again for being on the podcast. I hope you guys got some knowledge on their products. Make sure you check them out at snsgrills.com. Also, make sure you follow the Fire and Water Cooking channel, the Fire and Water Cooking podcast, Fire and Water Cooking on Facebook and Instagram. You can find this uh, video uh, format of the podcast on our YouTube channel and on our Facebook page. So make sure you follow us, like, subscribe, share. Make sure you uh, give us a review on our podcast and I'll see you on the next episode.